The Sacred Changemakers podcast is supported by Coaches Business School, helping the world's most caring coaches build a purpose-driven and profitable business that makes a meaningful impact in our world. Check out their unique frameworks and methods to help you transform and grow your business. Now is the time to build a bridge from what you want in life to include what the world needs. You can do well in business and do good, and together we can make a meaningful difference. Find out more at coachesbusinessschool.com. Hello and welcome back to the Sacred Changemakers podcast. Our guest on the podcast today is Lion Goodman. He's the founder of the Clear Beliefs Institute. He's a professional certified therapeutic coach with 40 years experience as an executive coach, teacher, healer, and subconscious pattern detective. He has created the Clear Beliefs Method for deleting limiting beliefs, healing childhood wounds, and resolving traumas from the past. 600 coaches, therapists, and healers around the world have graduated from his Clear Beliefs coach training. Now, Lion is the author of five books, including Clear Your Client's Limiting Beliefs and Creating on Purpose. He's taught workshops on four continents, and his articles have been widely published in books, magazines, and blog sites. He's been a featured speaker on summits, radio programs, podcasts, and television shows. Thousands of students and clients have reported profound transformation from his work, allowing them to feel freer, be happier, and achieve their goals faster and easier. Now, in today's conversation, which is titled Delete the Beliefs That Defeat You, you're going to hear Lion and I discussing his work and also how his life path brought him to his passion. And I tell you, you're going to be stunned to hear his personal story of being shot in the head four times, then having an eight-hour conversation with his shooter, and finally negotiating his escape at the young age of 26 years old. It's a stunning experience that ignited his passion for understanding how our brains work and how we can choose to change in ways that work for us. Now, I say stunning because I'm sure in the same situation at the age of 26, I wouldn't have been half as resourceful as Lion. I'm sure my fear would have gotten the better of me. Now, Lion also generously shares his research and perspectives that can help you to ask questions of yourself, help you to uncover your beliefs and figure out if they are supporting you or holding you back with his clear beliefs method that can have such a profound impact in your own life and career. I tell you, there's so much packed into this short conversation that I think you'll be really pleased you listened in. So let me introduce you to Lion Goodman. Hey, Lion, welcome to the Sacred Changemakers podcast, my friend. How are you doing? Thank you, Jane. I'm doing great. It's the holidays and I'm excited. And <laughs> I think uh, we're coming into Valentine's Day for our program. So <laughs> I'm excited about that too. Anything that has to do with love, I'm good with. <laughs> that sounds good. Well, I'm really excited for our conversation today because I know that our listeners are just really going to love everything that you've got to share. So um, I'm really excited about that. But before we get into kind of diving deep into your work in the world, I'd love to ask you, like our listeners have just heard your professional bio, but I'd like to go beneath the scenes a little bit kind of ask you in your own words to share something about the real life human behind the bio. Who is he? Complicated. <laughs> in a word. <laughs> uh, I have spent decades trying to understand not only myself, but also the nature of human nature mm. and the nature of human motivation. And why do we do the things we do? And so I would say I'm uh, infinitely curious mm. about the state of the world, the state of human beings, the state of the universe. So I'm a seeker uh, after truth and uh, a lover of art and people. Mm. Oh, it's lovely the way you describe that. Um, it really is. And our conversation for today is titled Delete the Beliefs That Defeat You. Um, so it's quite a mouthful, but I love this because it feels like it goes right to the very heart of the matter. So I'm going to ask you to begin with, you know, delete the beliefs that defeat you. What does that mean to you? 
in all of those decades uh, of self-exploration, I noticed that certain things and certain events and certain processes really transformed me. And a lot didn't. You know, there were lots <laughs> of things I did and tried and like, oh, I had a good high for the weekend workshop, but now I'm back to my same old, same old you know, right. <laughs> three days later. Uh, but there were certain things that really impacted me that certain like changed me, transformed me. And so I began investigating because I have this scientific mind. What did they have in common? What was it about those things that created transformation? And what I realized was that in each of those transformations, there was a fundamental belief shift that instead of believing one thing, I was looking out of a different lens from that point forward and it didn't go backwards. The old lens didn't come back. It was a new way of looking at the world or looking at myself or looking at relationships. And so that got me interested in beliefs. I started looking into beliefs. How do, where do they come from? How do they function? Uh, and how do we change them? And I tried lots of other belief change techniques. And again, I found that some of the techniques worked profoundly and permanently, and most of them didn't. So then I started looking at what do they have in common? <laughs> this is my, <laughs> this is how my brain works. Um, and what I found was that they, the ones that really worked, the things that really had a profound effect on me were multidimensional. They didn't just affect my mind, didn't just affect my emotions, didn't just affect my body, just my spirit, but all of those systems, every system in me was shifted when that shifted. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of my breakthrough is that we are multidimensional beings. We have multidimensional experiences and our beliefs are made of our experiences. So beliefs must be multidimensional. So if you want to clear a belief, if you want to get rid of it, you have to get rid of it with a multidimensional tool set. Mm. So that's how I came to create the clear beliefs method. Mm. You know, and listening to you speak there, it makes perfect sense to me as somebody who's worked in change for you know, over three decades now to really think that beliefs are really at the core of everything. Right. And, and that's what and I'm going to dive into your your multidimensional method with, around beliefs in a moment. But I just want to kind of come back to this, this very nexus of, in a way, what it means to be human. And in my own work, I've kind of followed the track back to this idea that, you know, what we believe kind of shapes everything in our life is that is that what you learned when you really looked at the multi-dimensionality of beliefs is it truly beliefs that are at the core of who we are and what we decide to do or not do in the world it depends on your definition of belief okay so let's go okay there. yeah let's go there, <laughs> let's go there. so mm. most people when they think of beliefs they think about a mental construct you right. know, something that they believe is true and therefore is true, right? Um, and that's a mental idea. And most of our beliefs we can put into words because we're language-based beings. Right. That's how we communicate. But when I'm talking about beliefs, I'm talking about the infrastructure of the human mind, which begins before we have words. It begins actually when we're in the womb. And what this pattern detection system is, is that an infant in the even in the womb, and then certainly once outside the womb, begins to look for patterns in this swirl of experience that they're having. A baby comes out, there's lights, there's touch, there's there's cold, there's all kinds of things going on that weren't going on before. And the first thing that the mind does is look for patterns. Ah, when this face comes close, I get I feel warm and get cared for and am fed. When that face comes close, it feels all prickly and cold. Mm. That's an infant level experience, but it's pattern identification. And that's the source of beliefs. So you, you come into your mother's arms and she looks down and she goes, oh, look at little Jane. She's so pretty. She's going to grow up to be a brilliant consultant. <laughs> and little Jane's going, okay, I'm, I'm pretty. I'm brilliant. <laughs> I'm going to grow up to be a consultant. So we take in whatever our parents say, even though we don't understand it yet. We also take in their feelings and their attitudes. So when you're inside of the mother's womb and your mother's depressed, you're depressed because you eat what she eats, you go where she goes and you feel what she feels. Uh, if your mother's in, in a, a, a 
horrible war or in poverty, you're going to pick up whatever she believes about the world through the feeling sense. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people are walking around with these beliefs. They don't know where they're from. I call them, you know, you can call them frames or paradigms. There's lots of terms that describe it, but it's the un, it's underpinning. It's the infrastructure of what we then add on to with our later experience and then with language. And then we start talking and we can sort of point to them through words, but they have to be accessed through the feeling, the felt experience sense. I love that. And I've never thought of beliefs in that way that you're describing them here. But it also explains something to me that's always been something of a little bit of a, a paradox for me, which is like, how do we believe these things that we're not even aware that we believe them? <laughs> right? Because of course, when I'm working with a client or even on my own inner journey with myself, it feels sometimes like I'm unpacking something that I'm not even aware of in a conscious way. Yeah. Does that yeah. make sense? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, first of all, our, our identity form begins forming, you know, in the early years, you know, a one-year-old is just sort of gaining a sense of identity, who I am. A two-year-old is pretty clear, like, this is who I am. Right. Don't tell me what to do. I have a, <laughs> a two-year-old grandson, so I, I'm getting that, that sense. Um, and you can learn your name, you can orient toward your name, you know, uh, pretty early. But the fact is, is that you're still in this swirl of experience and the experiences are coming in so fast and people talking to you and you're trying to sort through the, the, this wild experience swirl that you're in uh, and you start sorting and, and you, put, you put the sorted things in the subconscious mind. Now, you don't do this consciously. It's just automatic. Right. And then people start telling you things. You get indoctrinated by your parents and then your siblings and then your teachers and your religious leaders and, and the television and other media. You know, So we're indoctrinated with most beliefs. And babies want to believe what the parents believe because it will align them with the parents. So if you believe what someone believes, then you are closer to them. And so if your father says you're a piece of crap and you don't belong here, you will take it on eagerly because if you believe it too, then he probably won't throw you out to the wolves. Mm. There's a thing called Stockholm syndrome, which is where if you get captured by terrorists and, you know, then pretty soon you take on the beliefs of the terrorist. Well, right. all children are experiencing Stockholm syndrome. Those big people could could kill them at any moment. Right. Uh, so they absorb the beliefs and align with the beliefs. This is part of our survival system. Mm -hmm. So every new belief just gets pushed down by the newer beliefs into the subconscious mind. And we're taking beliefs on, you know, for we're still taking them on. Um, I'll give you a great example. Uh, one of my clients was a multimillionaire, multimillionaire because he made and lost millions over and over and over again. <laughs> so he kept <laughs> making millions and then losing millions. Um, and he came to me frustrated. And he says, you know, I can't get underneath this pattern. I don't know what's going on. So in my process, I took him back in his memory banks. And he suddenly remembered being three years old, walking with his mother in New York on the streets of New York. And he looked down and he saw a shiny penny. And he got very excited and he reached down to pick up the penny and his mother jerked him back and said, Don't touch that. It's dirty. Mm -hmm. At that moment, he realized that the reason he couldn't hold on to his money was because it was dirty and he shouldn't touch it. Mm -hmm. We cleared that belief. He didn't have to lose his money anymore. Wow. <laughs> so these, this is the kind of impact that programming has from a very early age uh, and goes in very deep. And then we cover it over with all the other learning we're doing. And to my best estimate, we have tens of thousands of beliefs by the time we're young adults yeah. and probably hundreds of thousands by the time we die, because we're getting them from everywhere. You know, all information is being taken in. The nervous system is set up as an information processing system. So it's busy processing all the information we get. And with all the media that we're in the middle of, it's like, it's mm. overwhelming to us, but I guess our nervous system adjusts because <laughs> we can <laughs> use our cell phone and drive and drink a cup of coffee all at the same time. <laughs> Not that you should do that. <laughs> yeah. 
So these beliefs then, when I'm hearing you talk about, you know, they're, they're very, well, subconscious or unconscious because there must be quite a complexity in the inputs we have as, as very young babies and children that, you know, it's it's unrealistic to think that we could even get, I suppose, some kind of consciousness in there to start to work out what works for us and what doesn't. But I know for a lot of us, there is a point in our life where, and I don't know if it's a point of maturation or what it is, where we start looking in and start thinking, well, is the way I'm behaving aligning with who I want to be in the world? Is it helping me or is it holding me back? Those kinds of things. I mean, how does that, how do we go from this almost like what you described is like a sponge of, a, of an infant just soaking everything in? When do we get that autonomy where we start to think differently and think that there might be something we need to look at inside? Well, my daughter was was reporting that my grandson was in the terrible twos and she was telling me the story that she said this to another mother and this other mother said, well, that's why they call it the terrible twos. And she said, but nobody told me how terrible it was going to be. <laughs> so, so that's the beginning of autonomy uh, is, right. is, you know, I, I don't want to do that. Right. Mm. And then people tell us, well, you have to do it or they force us to do it or they tell us why we have to do it. And so we're at the same time, we're expressing ourselves and getting to know ourselves. We're also being told who we are, what to do and how to do it. Mm. And so there's this kind of mixture, but at some point in our teenage years, we, we declare our independence and say, I'm not going to be that thing that they told me to be. I'm not going to do that thing they told me to do. I'm going to strike out on my own. Now, not everybody does that, but it is a normal part of the pattern. Mm. It's like when the mother and father birds, you know, fly away and say, okay, kids, you're on your own. You either fly or, or die. You know? <laughs> but in this case, the kids have to move away to become that independent person. And Usually it takes a really big shock to the system for a person to examine their own beliefs because mm. beliefs become the filters we look through. And so if I believe there's something wrong with me, everywhere I look, I'm seeing what's wrong with me. Mm. If I believe the world is unsafe, everywhere I look, I see unsafety. I'm not seeing its opposite because right. the beliefs become the filters that we see through. We see ourselves, we see other people, we see the world. So that's how they function. And, and so it takes quite a lot, actually, for you to look and see what is the lens I'm looking through, because it's invisible to us. It's like yeah. wearing contact lens. You don't, you don't notice that you're looking through them, but they filter both inward and outward. So they, they filter what I can see in the world, and it basically filters out what doesn't fit my belief system. And then it also tells me who I am by what I see. So right. it's a, a kind of vicious cycle that it takes, it takes something big to break it. Like, oh my yeah. God, there is no Santa Claus. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> one of the, that's one of the big breakthroughs. And <laughs> right. you realize that the parents, parents lie. You know, that's a huge yeah. moment of, of recognition. It's not just that there's no Santa Claus. It's like, well, if there's no Santa Claus, what else is not? Yeah. They're not. Yeah. They said there was. Yeah. So I want to take you to one of the big points in your life, I'm assuming, because I know you were shot in the head four times, but you're still here talking with me. Is that the event that actually got you into this, this pathway, this, this body of work and, and really kind of, I don't know, ignited your passion for beliefs? Or was it something else? Um, I would say I'm that it fascinated. reignited my passion. <laughs> right, right. So please was, tell us about actually... it. <laughs> well, first of all, I, I started my seeking when I was a, a child because I, I could, looked at other kids and I knew I was different than they were. Mm. And I didn't know why, but I, I figured it must be something wrong with me because they looked normal and I felt abnormal. <laughs> so, right. uh, And I became, a, I became an observer quite young. I remember in elementary school looking at other kids going, I think about myself more than they think about themselves. So there was something in me that drove me that probably my mother's lack of attention, but you know, who knows? It could be anything. Uh, <laughs> um, but, but that, that urge to try to understand was there from a very young age. And, and when I was 12, my dad handed me a book and said, here, this might interest you. 
and it was called Many Mansions, and it was about Edgar Casey's life readings, uh, oh. past life readings, right? Yeah. And so I read a couple of chapters, and then I closed it and said, oh, yeah, I remember that, and I put it aside. Because I had remembered that that's how reincarnation worked, and you know, and then I got interested in psychic phenomenon with a book called How to Make ESP Work for You. This is when I'm 13, and I'm, I've got a girlfriend, and we're practicing telepathy over the phone, and <laughs> we got quite good at it. <laughs> um, so, so that led me to college, where I got my degree in consciousness studies. Um, I put my own degree program together at the University of Colorado, and said, "This is a new degree. It's called consciousness." studies. And it was probably one of the first degrees granted in that field way, way, way back in 1975. Um, and so I was studying, I was already studying the brain and psychology and philosophy and linguistics, trying to understand. So this was a passion. Mm -hmm. And then when I was 26, um, nobody was hiring people with degrees in consciousness studies. That was the problem. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I a real job. So I had to make up my own job. So I became a traveling salesman and I traveled uh, the Southwest for about a year and a half until this incident. And uh, in this incident, I, I was a nice guy. So I'd stop and help people whose cars had broken down. I was a good Samaritan. And in this one case, I was driving from Las Vegas to LA through the Mojave Desert. And there was a guy whose car had broken down in the middle of 110 degree heat. And uh, so I stopped and I said, you know, do you need some help? He said, well, my car's dead. I, just put money into it. I, I don't know what to do. I said, well, I'm heading into LA. Do you want to ride? And he looked at me kind of funny and he said, yeah, okay. And I had this big RV van. And, and so he brought his stuff into the van and we started driving and short to shorten the story. We traveled together for three days as I would stop and sell my wares in stores. Uh, and the third night out, we were camped out east of LA and uh, I was in the back, kind of crouched down between cabinets, moving things around to make more room. He was in the front of the van. Um, and suddenly there was an explosion and something hit me in the head. And I didn't know what it, what had happened. I looked up. I thought the gas stove had exploded, but it was intact. Then I looked to my left and there he was with a gun pointing at me from oh, wow. the front seat. And at first I thought he was warning me. And I thought, okay, well, if he wants my stuff, just take it all. I was like, you know, yeah, good. Take it all. Leave me naked, you know, drive mm -hmm. away. I'm okay. You know? And I even said, I don't know whether I said it out loud, but I said, it's all yours. Yeah. So that was the first giveaway. And then he shot again. And the second bullet missed me by a fraction of an inch, but I realized I'm going to die. It's not yeah. a warning. This is death. I'm 26 years old. I didn't really understand what my future was. And I thought, oh, this is why I, did, I couldn't figure out my future because I don't have one. Uh, and having studied death and dying among all the spiritual practices that I studied, I realized, well, I don't want to die with anger or hurt in my heart. I want to die with, in peace. Mm -hmm. So I went through my past very quickly and forgave everyone that had hurt me and asked forgiveness for everyone I had hurt. And he shot again and... I realized, okay, well, I'm getting close. I was connected to source, all this love light, kind of like golden honey was flowing through me. Um, by this time, I'm out of my body looking down at the van and seeing this little drama going on uh, and being amused uh, by it. <laughs> so, um, and, and being out of body, this kind of 360 degree consciousness, it was like looking everywhere at once. It's very interesting. Um, and that changed one of my fundamental beliefs, which is that I am my body, right? Well, I really, clearly I'm still here, but I'm not my body. And then the fourth bullet rang out and my head was thrown violently to the side. Blood is rushing down. And suddenly I was back in my body. I thought that was unusual because I was supposed to be out of my body, but mm. back in my body. And so, uh, I kind of checked around. I, I knew my body quite well because I had studied dance and mime and, and physiology. And so I'm kind of checking my brain. It's like, is anything missing? But nothing seemed missing. So I didn't know where the bullet had gone. Um, there was a lot of blood. Um, and so I thought, well, if I'm going to die, I want to at least look my assassin in the eyes. And so I, I picked up my head and I turned and I looked at him. And he freaked out. And he said, why aren't you dead, man? You're supposed to be dead. And I didn't know the answer to that question. Mm. So um, I just said, here I, here I am. Because I was still in this love light place and just like expanded way out. 
And he said, it's too weird, man. It's just like my dream. And I said, what dream? And he said, I dreamed I was shooting at this guy this morning, but it wasn't you, it was someone else, but he wouldn't die. And at that moment, I thought, who is writing this script? And how did I get signed up for this movie? Because it's really <laughs> weird. <laughs> um, wow. The story goes on from there, but to make it really tight, uh, we ended up talking for eight hours after the, this happened. And uh, after a long negotiation, uh, we agreed to let each other go. And we were both transformed by the experience. Um, I took myself to the hospital. He, he left. Um, and uh, the doctor said, you, you asked me what happened. And I explained, he said, well, you're a lucky man. Two bullets bounced off your skull, grazed you. And I, uh, I thought, well, I'm, it's not luck. It's blessed. I'm a blessed man. Yeah. So that's the brief story. It's been published mm -hmm. widely. A film has been made about the story. So oh, wow. that's my 15 minutes of fame. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. But, you know, as you're, as you're because, I mean, it's a, it's an amazing story. And, you know, for you to have lived through that, Lion, I mean, I, I can't even imagine but the other thing that I was hearing, like the kind of subtext through this is the belief that I hear changing in you is like the answer to that question, maybe, who am I? Like who you thought you were before and who you thought you were after sounds like there was a big difference in that. Is a that, very is that big right? Difference. Yeah. Yeah, there was. One thing I was sure of is I didn't want to be a traveling salesman anymore. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That identity was over. Like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I started looking for a job, and uh, and after about a month, I found a job as a headhunter, oh. and I became a headhunter, which is kind of ironic, don't you think? After having my head hunted, <laughs> yes. being a headhunter, but you know, <laughs> that's our story. It's, uh, <laughs> uh, and that was my career for twenty five years was executive search, and oh. um, and so it was it was a great start to uh to a real career in life and i worked with corporations around the country and uh specialized in healthcare and informatics and um it was yeah so i i, I called it go fetch after a while i was like go fetch me a vp of marketing you go fetch me <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> okay <laughs> but because of my awareness i was able to really find people and match them energetically not just by resume you know energetically emotionally you know consciousness so I was really good at it and I, I made good money for a long time. So how did you go from there, like executive headhunter, into mm -hmm. this belief work? Because it feels like a true, like a, so I'm going to say it doesn't just feel like a purpose in your life when you speak about it. It feels like a, a calling, if I may use that language. It feels like the work you can't not do. Let's put it that yes. way. That's how it feels over here also. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, briefly, in the, it, when uh, the dot bomb happened, um, suddenly all my clients started laying people off and they didn't need headhunters anymore. So right. there are plenty of people laid off. If they wanted to pick some up, they were cheap by the dozen. You know, So, um, so I, I, I had to close my business. Uh, I had a million dollar boutique firm and suddenly I had a zero boutique firm. Right. Um, and, and, uh, I didn't really know what to do because that's all I had done. Now, all during that 25 years, I was taking workshops and trainings and exploring my consciousness and doing shamanic practices. And, you know, so I was an active seeker, even while having a corporate day job, you mm. know, uh, in the Transamerica pyramid in San Francisco. Right. Um, so I, I lived this kind of dual life and the, the other people in the company knew I was weird. That's all they knew. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but then I started my own firm and that, that went well. So, uh, so that fell apart and I didn't know what to do. And my girlfriend at the time said, well, why don't you do coaching? And she was teaching a training on how to coach people. Uh, it was a one week training in which she certified people as a certified coach. So, oh, wow. <laughs> so I took her training. I figured I knew enough now. Uh, anyway, she said, I don't want to coach anymore. I want to, I'm, I'm going to give you my clients. And I said, Okay. So that's how I got started coaching. And it turned out I loved it because it had all the elements of the consulting that I was doing as a headhunter, the personal connection that I was doing with my, my you know, inner work. And um, 
it just became my life. I went, oh my God, this is what I was designed for. Mm, I love that. So, you know, looking back on your life and thank you for sharing everything so openly with us because get a real sense of kind of your path and kind of pulling you into alignment with your calling in a way. And, you know, I'd, I'd love to get a sense of, you know, this question, who are you, right? That, you, you know, seemed like it was a big shift during that, that shooting drama. Then, you know, what did you learn about that question? Like, you know, who are you and who am I? Because as coaches, that's something we often explore with our clients. And I certainly do, because I feel it's almost like pivotal to anything that you might want to do in the world, (laughs) whatever that might be. But, Mm -hmm. you know, what insights did you kind of take from your path, Lion, that really started to inform your coaching and this space of the who am I and the belief pattern that you've now kind of fully embraced? Uh, I have to acknowledge my first teacher who I met at the age of 19, and studied with him for four years. He had his own school in the mountains of Colorado and it was log cabins and a pump well and fires, fireplaces and, you know, no electricity or running water. Um, He was the one that asked, that helped me learn how to ask the right questions. What is the nature of human nature? Um, Mm -hmm. And he basically said, we're these, in his own words, he said, we're not just physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual. We're also connected to everything. Mm-hmm. And I was beginning to awaken to those things through the drugs I was taking when I was exploring psychedelics. Um, but it, it made sense to me. And I wanted to learn everything about who I was. And he said, you can make any subject relevant by by looking at yourself and seeing how that is in yourself. So when you're studying history, you're studying the history of yourself and your ancestors. When you're studying physics, you're studying the physics of yourself. When you're studying mm-hmm. um, music, you're studying your own music of the spheres. So he inspired me to apply everything I learned to myself and to my understanding of people. And so it it was like food to me. It's like, oh, there's more, there's more. And that enabled me to see us, the who I am question is, we are multidimensional. We have our physical body. It's an amazing miracle this physical body, 70 trillion cells all cooperating with each other. Can you imagine managing 70 trillion people <laughs> and having it work? You know, right. so, unfortunately, it's self-managing, you know, as a system. Um, uh, history and, and philosophy, uh, this is who we are as minds as, and the cultures. So um, for me, the answer to who I am is I am everything. I am, mm. I'm, I am you. I am the community. I am this building. I'm, you know, I'm, we're connected to everything and it's really a delusion that we're separate. Mm-hmm. So my work is to help people get over the delusion of separateness. Mm-hmm. We come into a body, we grow up, we're told who we are. We, we limit ourselves with these beliefs. And, and then we grow up in this little small box, looking at other small boxes that are separate. And now we're all looking at our the, the even smaller box smaller to box, see who yeah. we are. Who am I today? How many people <laughs> like me? You know, <laughs> and we've gotten smaller and smaller and more and more separate. You know, you see people walk in the street; they're not even looking at each other's eyes. They're all doing this. So that's a delusion. It's a grand delusion. Um, uh, even Einstein called it a delusion of consciousness, albeit a persistent one. It's like it really feels like we're separate beings. But we're more like the separate fingernails, you know, but underneath mm. we're all connected to something much bigger and greater. And you know, we're so we're part of universe. We're made of star stuff, you know. And and so that's a marvel when you're in that state of awakening to who we really are. It's like it's a miracle everywhere you look. Right. And so why not enjoy it, you know, rather than, you know, I'm an accountant. Uh, uh, what do you do? I account, you know. <laughs> Well, how's your family? I don't know. I haven't seen them in years, you know, so. <laughs> right. So you're speaking so the here role to, we take on. Yeah. Yeah, so you're speaking here to what feels like a process of awakening from the delusion. That's what you're describing. So why, why is that important to, and especially today, why is that important? First, it's a lot more fun. 
<laughs> I'm so glad you said that because we could get all spiritual and sacred, but yes, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. What are we, what are we here for? If not to experience who we are in this life, in this mm -hmm. time, in this crazy environment we're in um, the, the result of, you know, hundreds of thousands of years of culture and, and the planet's billions of years and the universe's multiple right. billions of years. So, you know, we're, we, to me, the answer, you know, what, what is the meaning of life is that we're here to give life meaning that we create our own meaning out of life. And, and so what kind of meaning do you want to create? Do you want to be just a selfish asshole and, you know, a jerk that's, that uh, makes a lot of money is that if that's your meaning, like good for you. I don't really want to be dealing with it, but you know, so <laughs> if that's your thing, joy. <laughs> uh, how's that working for you? That's my main, main coaching question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So I think I answered your question. I'm not sure. Yeah, no, I think you did. And you see, as you were doing that, I was kind of going into, well, you know, if somebody does want to be the asshole or whatever, what's interesting there is it then comes back to beliefs if they don't want to be, doesn't it? Like it's kind of this circular notion of it comes back to your work. So if somebody is something that is not working for them, then of course the belief, the clear beliefs methodology comes in. So, so tell us a little bit about how you work with people, how you shift beliefs, just to give some people some insights into what's possible for them. Because I think there is a lot of people that don't believe that, you know, some of the things that they might want to create for themselves is actually possible. Well, one of the most negative beliefs is things won't change. Yeah, because our beliefs create our reality. If you believe that things aren't going to change, you get the reality of things not changing. So that's often the first belief we have to work with. You know, or, or people believe, well, I, you can't get rid of your beliefs permanently. Mm. Well, if that's what you believe, then that's what you experience, right? right. <laughs> so let's change that belief. Let's get that one out of the way first, and then we have open possibilities. Uh, most of the people who come to me already are suffering in some way in their life mm. and they want to end the suffering or they want to achieve something they can't achieve, which is its own kind of suffering mm. or they're confused and they don't know which way to turn, which is another kind of suffering. So, you know, the, the Buddha called it well, life is suffering. He didn't mean it's intentionally suffering. It's just that we suffer as part of how we're built. Mm. You know, we take on these beliefs and then we compare ourselves to other people and we feel or find ourselves wanting and all that. So when I start working with someone, I, I want to know what they want to achieve in their life because coaching is supposed to be about the future, what we want to mm -hmm. become. But what I found, most coaching schools say, well, coaches just deal with the present and the future, who we are, who we are, what's going on, how can we change it to make it better? But if you leave out the past, then you leave out the cause of why you got here in the first place. Right. So what I do is I look for the core beliefs that are driving the behaviors, the decisions, the actions, and the attitudes that result in this condition that they have now. And we go back in time to find the source of that belief, of that rule, of that conclusion, right? Money's the most important thing. Oh, well, how's that working for you? Right. <laughs> and you lost your relationship with your family. Isn't, would you like to change that? You know, if <clears throat> you've seen the the cartoon with a butterfly talking to the caterpillar saying, yeah, but first you have to really want to change, you know? So, <laughs> so, um, so if there's a desire to change and we go back and we find the source of what the pattern is and there's lots of sources, but, but we can go very deep into the subconscious mind. We have a way of communicating with the subconscious and the subconscious will engage with us in this, this play that we do. Um, and give us information. So we go back and just like the guy whose mother told him that money was dirty and shouldn't touch it. We, we use a memory system to go back into source material, find out where that conclusion happened and then clear it so that as if it never happened. So once we clear something at, at source, it's as if it never happened and life changes because the filter changes. Suddenly we're looking through a different filter there's now possibilities where there were limitations. There's now peace where there was anguish. You know, there's now love where there was no love. 
So mm-hmm. by changing the the memory, memory is malleable. So we can go in, we can actually shift memories. In psychology, they call it memory reconsolidation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going in and we're actually shifting the past in order to create a better present so you can create a better future. And once most of that cleanup's done, most of us have three to five clusters of beliefs that are in our way. Once you've cleared those up, pretty much you're not being held back by it anymore. There's still mm-hmm. stuff that comes up, but it's not holding you back. The leash is off. And then we say, okay, now that you're free, now what do you want to create? And in fact, that's a process that goes all the way through because every time you clear a belief, you get to put in a new belief that will then be planted and blossom. And I use the uh, analogy of a garden quite often, which is that if you wanted to create a garden to grow plant, you know, flowers and fruits, uh, you'd first clear the soil. You'd get it, take out the rocks and weeds and then you'd plant your seeds. A lot of people have tried affirmations, which don't work. Why? Because you're throwing the seeds of mm. the positive possibility on rocky, weedy ground, all of those old negative beliefs. So you make a decision, I'm going to lose 10 pounds this month. And immediately you hear all the old beliefs coming up and reasserting themselves. Oh, come on, you've never done, lost 10 pounds in a month. Forget it. You've tried this 100 times. You, it, it'll never work. Remember, there's a cake in the refrigerator. You can't, you can't go on a diet while there's cake in the refrigerator. Come on, <laughs> you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> uh, so it's those old beliefs that, that stop people much more often than any external circumstance. So people mm. start something, they want to create something, and then they get stopped by all that old crap. And what, by clearing the crap out of the way, now you've got a person who can just move forward without resistance. Mm. I love that. And it sounds like very powerful work that you're doing in that individual space. But here's my question, and it might feel a little curveball this question but as you were talking I I was kind of getting this sense of you know the the individual with their belief and and their like root causes and whatever um but also this visceral feeling that we're almost like nested in different systems of belief like for example you know like there's Jane and then there's I suppose Jane's family dynamics and then it goes out maybe my business and my organizational team and then out into the the country I grew up in which is different to the country I now live in and then you know going right the way out into the global space and what it means to be human What I'm interested in, Lion, is how tethered are we to these different levels of system of belief? Because it almost feels like there could be elements that kind of reinforce our individual beliefs because of the context we find ourselves within. Is that true? Yes. In fact, some of the tethers came from our adopting the beliefs of our culture. Right. So we adopted the beliefs in the first place. Like we were born without many beliefs a few instincts but no real beliefs but you grow up in a culture and you want to become part of the culture right so you adopt the culture's beliefs that's how you belong to something and so uh so it started with the milieu with the, the the environment of beliefs you know, you were watching television as a kid and you see people drinking Coca-Cola and they're happy and you're associating right. Coca-Cola with happiness. Well, they, they, they know psychology. They know exactly what they're doing. They're programming you to make an association, a belief that if I drink Coca-Cola, I'll be happy. So we are subject to all of these influences all the time. When you wake up and you recognize, okay, well, that was indoctrinated into me, but at some level of consciousness, I took it on. I accepted it as an indoctrination. So now I have a choice. So we're waking people up to their choice. Is this a belief mm-hmm. that serves you? You want to keep it? There's a lot of beliefs that serve us. Like, like I can do anything I set my mind to. Great belief to have. It creates possibilities. But do I want to believe that that it's okay to eat sugary junk and as much mm-hmm. as I want? No, that doesn't serve me anymore it did when i was a kid and i felt bad about myself and i started eating sweets and it gave me those sweetness of life that i wanted and needed but it certainly isn't serving me now so so we are in these systems and we will continue to be in these systems because we're that's part of who we are so we're part of the system 
Right. We're born into a particular culture and we take on that culture. We move, then we have another culture to adopt. Layer, 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 lots of layers of these. So yes, we're embedded within those. Mm -hmm. And I'm often asked, well, what about, you know, social change? Well, if you free yourself, you look around and you see what's breaking your heart. And you say, I've got to do something about that. I have to take action. We change social systems through social action not mm-hmm. through individual growth. Yeah. We change politics through political action, not just because I became enlightened or awakened, right? right? So we have to engage with the world at the world's level. You have mm-hmm. to engage with an organization at the organizational level because you can change one person, but they're embedded within this larger structure. That's what yeah. I saw as a headhunter is that, you know, if there was neuroses in the company, it was because the CEO <laughs> was, <laughs> had the same neuroses. <laughs> and if i couldn't change him then it's you know it's gonna be an uphill battle to change everybody else yeah yeah so how would you describe the impact you're making in the world because it sounds to me like this is really like you said at the beginning that one of the things that's really important to you is this idea of truth and it feels to me like your work in the world is very much at the core of who we are being as humans in a way And so I'd love to get a sense of like, what's the impact that you're making with your, with your work here and what's it in service of for you? You ask good questions, Jane. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, before we start recording, we talked about the trim tab of Buckminster Fuller's idea that that with a minimum, where do you put your lever? Like Archimedes, if I had a place to stand and I, and a lever long enough, I could move the world, right? Where do I stick my lever? (laughs) Where do I put, where do I jam my lever in so I can actually move something? And I found my particular lever in the belief structure that if I can teach people how to clear their own beliefs and how to clear other people's beliefs, that's going to ripple out. And that's going to have the biggest impact I can have. Uh, obviously, if I become incredibly popular, uh, that will also help, but that may or may not happen. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but but my, my I'm trying to impact the, the uh, coaching industry, especially because coaches have such an impact on people that if I can get coaches to understand we can do this therapeutic coaching, it's a coaching process that has a therapeutic impact. Uh, and also a spiritual impact because people, when people wake up, they become more spiritual automatically, not woo-woo necessarily, just like, oh, I'm part of universe. That's cool. Uh, so right. um, so that, that's where my particular lever is. And the impact I want to have is shifting the coaching industry from just deal with the present and the future. Don't touch the past. That's for psychotherapists, psychiatrists, leave that alone. So they, no, no, if we don't change, if we don't work with that, then we can't possibly get people to move forward. We're just going to be doing outside-in coaching. Well, make another schedule. Do, do make another list. Do this. Do this again and again. Oh, you didn't do it this time. Well, let's remake your commitment. I'll help keep you accountable. That's all outside-in stuff. I much prefer working inside-out. Yeah, me too. You know, go to the core and, <laughs> and transformation. Now you've got somebody easy to work with. Yeah, I want to do that. Okay, I'm going to do that. And they go. You know? right. So that's my particular impact that I want to have mm, I love that I really do and it just makes me smile knowing you're out in the world doing your your really profound work and and helping us all live better lives because I think it's actually the nexus of what that means to actually have an impact and change the world for the better so I love that Lion, if people are interested in you and your work I know you have a free monthly belief relief program can you tell us a little bit more about how people can find out about you Sure. Uh, Beliefrelief.net gets you registered for our free monthly belief discovery events. Uh, We do do use a different topic every month. We've done like work and we've done finances and money and and intimacy. And so they, it changes every month, but you get to go and you get to examine what beliefs you have in that topic. And we all have beliefs about every topic. Um, Otherwise we wouldn't be human. So that's just uh, an offering that we do to help people understand what beliefs they have. Uh, I also have a free ebook uh, on my website. So clearbeliefs.com is about my training. And if someone just wants coaching, clearyourbeliefs.com is for people who just want to be coached and help to clear their beliefs. So those are my main websites. Okay, thank you. So just one final question. 
which is really, if there's something you'd like to kind of leave our audience with, maybe it's a few words of wisdom, maybe it's something we haven't covered that you wanted to cover, what might it be? If there's something you don't like in your life, change your beliefs. If there's something you're uncomfortable with, examine your beliefs and change them. If there's something you want that you don't have, examine your beliefs and change them. That is the greatest lever that anyone has for their own life. And I encourage everybody to constantly ask that question. What is it I would have to believe in order to experience this? And that's a way to uncover the subconscious beliefs that are not obvious. Mm, Such a great question. I really love that. Thank you, Lyon, so much. Thanks for stopping by the podcast. I've really enjoyed our conversation today, and I know our listeners will have gained so many insights from everything you've shared. So thank you so much, my friend. Thank you, Jane. It's a total pleasure, and I look forward to whatever comes next. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, guys, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for listening in. Before we go, I want to remind you that all the resources and the links for our guests are in the show notes at sacredchangemakers.com. A big thank you to the members of Coaches Business School who are our podcast sponsors and our extended community who are helping us make a global impact aligned with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, all visible on our website. And if you're looking for more soul in your life and business, if you have a sense that you have a calling, maybe you're here to make a bigger impact or simply connect with others on your change-making journey. If our episode resonated with you today, I hope you'll consider joining us. Again, you can find out more at sacredchangemakers.com. So for now, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your intention and efforts to make our world a better place. Until next time, lots of love.